this is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. Our taping is made possible with the support of Raider, a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. The generosity of Oxner Lafayette General also makes this podcast possible. As Acadiana's largest regional health system, including two teaching hospitals and the region's only level two trauma center with more than 5,500 employees, Oxner Lafayette General strives to put patients first and make caring their top priority. In continuous efforts to reach more patients, Oxner Lafayette General provides services throughout Acadiana and facilitates telemedicine throughout the state, making healthcare more accessible for everyone. For more information, visit oxnerlg.org. Support for this podcast also comes from Home Bank, banking from anywhere with tech features for everyday needs. And when businesses and families need a banker, Home Bank is there as friends, neighbors, and partners in the community. Learn more at home24bank.com. Home Bank, member FDIC. Our guest is Bob Giles, philanthropist and owner of Giles Automotive, with locations in Lafayette, Opelousas, Alexandria, and El Paso, Texas. Bob grew up in the car business, learning from both of his grandfathers, as well as his father, who all owned car dealerships. After graduating in accounting from Texas A&M, Bob worked for his dad's dealership before moving to Lafayette in 1982 after purchasing a Volkswagen dealership, where he also added Audis and Porsches to the selection. In 1990, Bob purchased a Nissan dealership in Lafayette, which he still owns today. He also sells Volvos, Subarus, and Hyundais. Bob was recently named 2022 Time Dealer of the Year, chosen from a field of nearly 16,000 franchise dealers across the U.S. The award celebrates franchised new car and truck dealers for exceptional business performance and outstanding community service. In 2021, he was awarded the Louisiana Automotive Dealers Association, known as LADA, Dealer of the Year Award. We tend to see Bob Giles in the news for his generosity lately. He's created the Giles Essential Errand Running Service, which offers grocery and essential item deliveries by dealership staff to senior citizens and immunocompromised individuals. He and his wife, Sandy, are active in helping fund Acadiana Animal Aid, and they recently provided additional funding to Moncus Park's New Dog Park. The Outreach Center which provides shelter and support for homeless individuals in Acadiana is also a dear cause. But reading about someone is different than hearing their voice. Bob Giles, thank you for coming here today and sharing your voice and your story. Welcome to Discover Lafayette. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, this is really a treat. I, I know we met way back, but I have watched you from afar growing your business and also growing your outreach to help people. So, you know, we both moved here in the early 80s. I'd love to have you share for all of our listeners, what was it like starting your own dealership? And, you know, how have you stayed in business for 40 years? Well, um, I was working for my dad in Texas City, Texas, who had a Volkswagen dealership uh, in the late 70s, early 80s. 
and I approached Volkswagen about getting a franchise, a Volkswagen franchise somewhere, mm-hmm. and the dealer here in Lafayette had recently filed bankruptcy. So at the age of 26, they offered me um, the Volkswagen franchise for Lafayette, Louisiana, and along with the support of my dad and his brother, Perry, um, we opened up uh, on my birthday in oh, February wow. of 1982. Um, and um, with Volkswagen and also Porsche and Audi. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think what we drove back then. Did they even sell Beetles then, or was it more Rabbit? What, what was on the market? Well, they, they actually still had the Super Beetle yeah. and yeah. the uh, Volkswagen Rabbit mm-hmm. and um, you know the Type so 3 cute. and several other, the Jetta. Yeah, Jetta uh, was yeah. big. Yeah, and uh, of course the Porsche had the 924, and then they came out with the 944, which is a big hit. And interesting enough, Porsche did not want to be in Lafayette, uh, but my dad was on the National Dealer Council, and through his connections, was able to convince Porsche and Audi to come. And I had a six-car planning volume for Porsche, and the first year we sold 144. <sighs> Oh, my God. So it was crazy good, and Audi did really well, and then we all know what happened shortly after that. I was thinking about that. I moved here in 83, and things still seemed like they were booming, but it was really on the down slide, right? Oil and gas was It was, the oil and gas industry, and uh, also at the same time, uh, unfortunately, uh, a couple years later, Audi had the unintended acceleration problem, which Mm -hmm. really hurt that product in the sales, and the Porsche product became much more expensive. So we were in an economy that wasn't doing so well. Prices had gone up on Porsche. Audi had the unintended acceleration problem. And, uh, you know, Volkswagen was doing okay, but I struggled, I can tell you. When I first moved to Lafayette, I um, at times questioned, you know, whether or not Mm -hmm. I'd made the right decision. Did I read that you moved into Bayou Shadows? I did. (laughs) Was that the place for everybody to, you know, new in town? Right. Uh, J.B. Mouton built uh, the facility for me, and they had built Bayou Shadows, Mm -hmm. and there was a waiting list to get in. And um, through that connection, they actually got me a two-bedroom apartment uh, in Bayou Shadows. So that's where I first lived when I moved to Lafayette. I was single and didn't know a person. Oh, okay. Yeah. You met your wife here? I met my wife here. What is her maiden name? I know Sandy. Um, but. Well, she's a Stayhower, and okay. she had moved to La- well, she moved to Lafayette around August of '82. Was also living in Bayou Shadows, and uh, she was a court reporter. And oh. the uh, she was working for a company in New Orleans who opened up an office in Lafayette, so she moved to Lafayette for that reason. Wow! And uh, so the move uh, was good, no matter what happened. That's right. You yeah, know, and a good friend of mine uh, that knew Sandy introduced uh, me to her, and mm-hmm. the rest is history. Yeah. So you you held on for a few years. It sounds like I did. I mean, from my introductory notes, I know you bought Nissan, brought Nissan here in 1990. But what is it like being that age? Like your your dad and your uncle co-signed for you? Like, were you sweating it? Uh, they did, uh, yes. And we were we were thinly capitalized. Uh, matter mm. of fact, we started the business with $120,000 uh, back in 1982. And that included the building and wow. uh, all the financing. And uh, back then, First National Bank, the Moody's, yeah. uh, financed it for us. Yeah. yeah, they financed it for us. So were you down on Johnston, like We were south? down Johnston Street, yep. And the reason we were so far down at the time when we were looking for property, the oil business was booming and uh, property right. prices were increasing out. so rapidly. So yeah. we ended up having to go at the time pretty far down Johnson Street to find some affordable property. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a few years later, Nissan was really 
a car of choice for so many people, affordable and all. So I guess you had to close your first dealership or what happened with that? Did they well, just... I, I'd actually picked up some other lines. I picked up Subaru and I oh, picked up okay. Saab and I purchased a Volvo from John Harvey who had Toyota. I see. And uh, and then Benny Benazetch uh, yeah. with Dependable Motors had the Nissan product and he got financial trouble. Uh, he also had Dodge and so he decided to sell Nissan uh, in order to try to keep the doors open. So that's how I ended up buying Nissan. Okay. And when I did, I had so many franchises. Volkswagen and Porsche and Audi were not doing well. Subaru wasn't doing well. Saab wasn't doing well. But Volvo was. And so mm-hmm. uh, I ended up just keeping the Volvo and the Nissan franchises mm-hmm. uh, in, the, uh, in 1990 and then, and then expanding from there. I asked you before we started taping, did it ever occur to you, like, maybe I should go back to Texas? You know, was it tough being, let's say, 30-ish and you're going through this struggle about what to do, you really could have just cut bait and, you know, gone back to where your family is, but you've always stayed here. Yeah. I mean, that, I, that you know, that was an option, but I've, I've never been one to give up. And the greatest motivator for me is fear of failure. And, um, you know, I don't want to say I've never failed at anything, but the fear of failing has always motivated me to do whatever I had to do, whether it meant work seven days a week, um, but do whatever I had to do mm-hmm. to be successful. Mm-hmm. I've heard that a lot of your employees have been with you for a long time. Tell me about the importance of that and how you maintain those um, loyalties. Well, you know, I believe that the most important component of any business are the people that you have working there. That that is more valuable than the product or location. It's all about people. And when I look back on my life now, I'm now 68 years old, and I know that one day when I'm playing on my deathbed and I look back on my life, the thing that I am going to be most proud about is not how many dealerships I've owned or how much money I've made, but it's the lives that I've been able to change mm-hmm. through my career and with the people that I have employed and made their life better and helped them realize their dreams. And by, I believe by me having that philosophy and that attitude towards our employees creates loyalty from them. Mm-hmm. In the early days, were you out on the lot showing the cars and banging on the hood? Like, did you sell the cars at the beginning? Yeah, but I didn't bang on the hood. Not like Mark, <laughs> you know, Mark Hampton. Right. No, but I, yes, I, uh-huh. I, when I first started, um, you know, I was involved in everything. We didn't have a lot of employees. And so mm-hmm. um, I would, uh, you know, spend time at what we call on the desk as a sales manager. I did all of the sales training. I did most of the hiring. Um, the accounting. I did some of the accounting. Mm-hmm. I have a degree in accounting, right, so I did right. some of that. Yeah. Um, uh, when I worked for my dad, I did work as a technician, but I didn't do that when I moved to Lafayette. Um, but uh, if it meant, hey, somebody had to go wash a car in the back or get a car mm-hmm. ready for a customer and, and we didn't have somebody, then I did it. Mm-hmm. You know, you just do what you have to do. When do you know, you know, having these businesses as you have, I've never been in your shoes. When do you kind of feel like, I think I've made it, like I've done what I set out to do? Is, is there ever a day that you can think of? Well, I can't tell you the date, but there becomes a point, at least for me, when you become well capitalized 
and you know that you can survive any downturn. And so for me, that um, allows someone to have a lot of nights with good sleep instead of, you know, when you're a business owner, you're really working 24 hours a day, at least me. I would Mm -hmm. wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning or 4 o'clock in the morning, and I used to keep a notepad by my bed where I could write a note of something that I, you know, would wake up in the middle of the night and start thinking of. And uh, particularly when I first started and, uh, and, and even more so when I bought out my dad and uncle, and, right. and was heavily leveraged at the time. Um, and I was still in my mid-30s, and I look back today, and I sometimes wonder why the bank loaned me so much money. I don't know that I would have. Um, but, I, you know, again, going back to that, I, was, I would never, ever uh, accept failure. And so that motivated me to do whatever I had to do to be mm-hmm. successful in my business. And so that feeling of freedom... At some point, you must have had that. Like you said, you know, yes. no matter what happens, you're going to be okay. It'd be okay, right. Yeah. yeah, you finally get to that point, at least I have. How does it feel, though, to be free? What well, is that? You know, like for some of us that still wonder, what if the house burned down? Or what if, you know, we lost this business, whatever, you know? It's, it's a worry for a lot of us. It is, and... and um and I, and as we were speaking earlier, yeah. I have I have two daughters. One's thirty four and thirty six, mm-hmm. and you know I still worry about them. Right. You know, so we still have worries. You're never free from that worry. Right. Right. But, but financially, financial, uh, yeah. financially, I, I'm not worried. I'm in a position now that I could quit today and mm-hmm. not have to worry about it. But um, I'm still moving forward. As I mentioned to you earlier, we just bought a Hyundai dealership I in Alexandria. I didn't realize that yeah. until you got here. I, I thought yeah. it was just three lines, but right. that's pretty cool. Yeah. So that's our sixth dealership. And yeah. uh, I recently got in the car wash business and with Mr. Yes. Bubbles. Yeah, Mr. Bubbles. And uh, <laughs> we opened our first one and we were, were in the process of building our second one uh, near River Ranch on Collie Saloon. Um, and I am um, in the process of doing a um, residential development with Robert Daigle. Uh, on 40 acres of land uh, near Target Loop and Johnson Street. Wow. Um, so I have, a, I have a lot going on. It keeps me busy. And, yeah. you know, at this point in my life, I'm not necessarily doing it for the money. I'm, I'm doing it because I enjoy doing those types of things. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize all that. Gosh. So it's never a dull moment, but maybe some peace comes with it, huh? That's true. And I, uh, you know, I'm in the position now where I can decide if I want to work or not work. And, mm-hmm. and uh, every, I, I work Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, the July 4th weekend. I, uh, by choice. By choice. Yeah. And uh, I usually don't get home until 8 o'clock at night uh, from work. And I know you always answer your phone calls. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and sometimes I think to myself, why am I doing this? But I wouldn't be happy otherwise, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm driven, and I, I love being involved, and I love being busy, and I don't think I could ever retire. We have a mutual friend that's no longer with us, Ed Crampy, and I remember once I went to him for advice. I was struggling with something, and he said, Jan, if you don't really enjoy what you're doing, don't do it because you're not helping yourself, and you're not helping the people that you're working with. But when you show up with joy everything goes much better than you could ever expect. And that was great advice, and I agree 100%. I miss him every day. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. I want to hear more about your life. Before we do, in every 
podcast, we stop and reflect back on an earlier interview. And this one is one we did with Todd Citron of Hub City Ford. And like you, Bob, Todd grew up in the automotive industry and he's made it his life passion. You can hear his interview along with over 260 others at discoverlafayette.net. Let's take a listen. Federal government hired him to procure sugarcane and teach people in Honduras how to how to how to do sugarcane. So he took his wife and kids over there to Honduras, and uh, long story short, they had a, <laughs> a, some rough times over there, mm-hmm. and 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 had to head back home. And when he was coming up the Mississippi River from Honduras on a ship, he noticed this there was some steam in the background, yeah. and he asked the guy, "What is that?" And the guy said, "Well, that's the Ford Motor Company. They have a plant." And he said, well, do you think they would hire me? And he said, you'll just have to go see. I don't know. So he got off the ship and literally mm-hmm. uh, followed the smoke to the, to the company, which led him to the Ford Motor Company and filled out an application. And they put a broom in his hand. And the rest is history. He worked as an assembly plant guy. And then eventually he was a roadrunner where you collect from the dealers all over the country, all over the state of Louisiana. And that was the early days of oh, Ford Motor yeah, Company. It was. Yeah. It was really cool. So, you know, I tell people in New Orleans even that I see that they hardly remember that there were was an assembly plant in New mm-hmm. Orleans. But um, he loved the Ford Motor Company, always communicated with, with Mr. Henry Ford and um, Lee Iacocca and all the people that were with Ford. We're back with Bob Giles, owner of Giles Automotive, and we're just kind of getting into, I guess, your life, Bob. We've heard about your, excuse me, your your business career. And is there anything that we didn't get on? Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about um, about your business life before we move on to your philanthropy? Well, no. That's um, currently that's mostly what I'm. Yeah, today, what we just spoke about. Right. Um, You have gotten, you and Sandy, your wife, are really helping our community. And I probably didn't even hit the high points in the introduction, but I know about Giles Gives Back. I know you're very big with Acadiana Animal Aid and others. If you can talk about when you started shifting to that philanthropic focus. Well, uh, kind of reflecting back on my life and growing up in the car business and being son of a, a car dealer, and I've always felt personally that a lot of people look down on car dealers. And you know the saying, you know, attorneys and car dealers are well, yeah. <laughs> kind of at the bottom of the barrel. Jokes, yeah. And um, and so I've always tried to be different. And I made the decision probably 15 years ago that I was going to get very involved in giving back to the communities where I have businesses. Um, It's where I met my wife and where we raised her children and where they went to school and where our employees live and where they play and, and their children goes to school. And so I made the commitment to start being involved and giving back and trying to make Acadiana a better place. Mm-hmm. And even more importantly, trying to set an example for people and other business people to also give back. Because obviously, together, we can do so much more than, than one person can do alone. And I don't know if you remember a series that I did about, I think it was about a year and a half ago, uh, on who is Bob Giles. And I was a postman 
and I was a grocery clerk, and I was a delivery room doctor, and we ran that series. And at the end, the message was, it didn't matter who you are or what you Mm -hmm. do, everyone can give back, whether it's your time or your talent or money. Uh, It's not always just money. You know, just volunteering and giving back in that way can help make our community better. So I, after making that commitment, and I have followed through with that. And um, and there's there's a lot of great dealers in town, and there's and and other business people that do give back, um, and so you know. But I think it's very important, and I hope what I do actually represents how I feel inside. Mm-hmm. Your wife, I know, is by your side doing a lot of this. I mean, I love Acadiana Animal Aid. If you can jump into that, that's. A worthy cause, and they have a lot of needs. That's true. And y'all, y'all have been big givers, and you've well, gotten your friends and yeah, colleagues to give yes. too. Well, my wife has always been. And when I met her, she she had a dog, and we've always had dogs, and we've had a lot of rescue dogs, and we have something we call foster failures. You know, we find a dog, we foster it, we fall in love, and it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we have three foster failures at home right now. Um, and we got involved with Acadiana Animal Aid several years ago, and it's a great organization. We have an uh, excellent executive director, mm-hmm. um, and we have our big annual event, which is Bark in the Dark, which we couldn't have for a couple of years right. due to COVID. Um, we just had our one this year, and we raised about $550,000 at that event. And we think it's really kind of become the premier you know, fundraiser mm-hmm. in Lafayette. And uh, so we love doing that, and it's just a great cause. And, you know, finding a forever home for these animals that are homeless or people that decide that they no longer want them or can afford them um, is, uh, is rewarding for both of us to be involved mm-hmm. in that. And then the Moncus Park people must have tackled you also. I know there's been an announcement about the new dog park. Yes. You've gone in with the Pew family and others, right, right. to make that happen. Right. We were approached because... Um, you know, they know we, we love animals, and um, they want to build a large dog park and a small dog park, and they didn't, they found that it wasn't best to have them together, and so we agreed to sponsor the small dog park, and so now they'll start construction on the large dog park right. as well. And Giles gives back. I looked on that website. It looks like that's several, uh, you know, several different nonprofits that you support. Can you talk about that? Yeah, we have a lot of nonprofits, and... What we've done is we've made a series of commercials about giving back. It's nothing about buying a car. It's just simply mm-hmm. about encouraging others to give back. And we've used some of the nonprofits as examples. One of them that I love is Dream Comes True of Louisiana, which is a nonprofit very much like Make-A-Wish Foundation, but it's lo- locally based only for Louisiana families with children with life-threatening illnesses and granting them a wish. And it's a wonderful organization to be a part of. And uh, Average Wish costs three to $5,000. And the number of children that request Wish is greater than what we can fund. And so I've been involved with helping them raise money mm-hmm. so that we can grant more wishes. And then, you know, we've been involved with, or I founded locally, Hunters for the Hungry, mm-hmm. which each fall we ask um, those that fish and hunt 
to donate their leftover game that they have yeah. in their freezer and clean it out before yeah. the new season starts. And typically we raise seven or collect seven to 10,000 pounds of fish and game, mm-hmm. which we give to the men's shelter in Opelousas called the Lighthouse. And then they redistribute it to other shelters. Um, and each pound of, of protein uh, can create four or five meals. So we're talking forty mm-hmm. or 50,000 meals as a result of that. And it costs no one to, anything to donate to it. So right. it's, it's, it's something that I love. And then, you know, we've purchased bulletproof vests for many of, of the surrounding areas, law enforcement agencies, uh, Evangeline Parish Sheriff's Department, Opelousa Sheriff's Department, I believe Sunset. There's four or five different agencies that have come to me yeah. and that are underfunded, uh-huh. and their police officers either have don't have a bulletproof vest or the one they have is so outdated that it's no longer effective. And I just believe our law enforcement is so important to us and our families and to keep us safe mm-hmm. and that they need the best equipment possible. So I was originally approached by uh, someone trying to raise money for the Opelousas uh, Police Department, and I thought about it. And, you know, rather than taking months to try to raise the money and maybe an officer being injured, I decided to just buy all of the best. And since then, I've been approached by other law enforcement agencies. And I mean, I chair Crime Stoppers here. Maybe, you know, I think we have vests, but we'll see. So. <laughs> right. So far, I haven't said no, but... Um, yeah, no. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's nice when you can help the smaller communities yes. that don't have the same resources. Right, right. Gosh. So, you know, I'm listening to this. It sounds like it's really a fun time for you. Um, and you still have like a lot going on future things. I, I really am glad to hear about you and Robert Daigle partnering. Do you have advice for young up-and-coming entrepreneurs? If you could go back and talk to you, you know, when you were 26, 28, is there anything that you didn't know that you wish you had known, that you would listen to? Yes. What I didn't know is how important people were, uh, the people that work for you. And, um, and I also didn't realize that in a way you almost can't pay a great employee too much um, because they will they will bring that value back to you many mm-hmm. times over. So um, if I could go back and give myself advice when I was 26 or 27 mm-hmm. years old would be that advice that the number one most important thing in your business is hiring the very best people will people possible, making sure that they are happy because happy people are the only people that can make customers happy. Right. And so, and pay them well for what Mm -hmm. they do. Um, And so um, I realized that after I'd been a few years in the business. And as a result of that, like you mentioned earlier, I have a lot of longtime employees Mm -hmm. that work for me and a lot of people that have retired um, since I've opened up. So uh, that would be the advice that I would give. With COVID, you know, I've, I've heard about people having trouble maintaining their staff, but the car industry, the automotive industry has had a double whammy because you've got your staff, people can't see cars on the lot, and I guess they have to order, right, special order cars. So has that been like a monkey wrench or have things worked out for you and other automotive dealers? Well, when, when, when COVID occurred in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I sent out an email to every employee and we had no idea what was going to happen. But 
I, along with the president of my company, Ryan LeBlanc, assured everyone that worked for us that they would continue their job and make no less than what they had been making wow. before. Oh, gosh. Uh, I'm sure I that made, meant so much I, to I them. made that commitment. Yeah. And I didn't know what the future was. And as we know, you know, we had mm-hmm. the, the valley in March, April, and May, and then things started recovering. The government came out with some programs and so forth. Um, and uh, and today we are faced with a microchip shortage, right. which is resulting in very, very low inventories. Uh, most everything that... Um, is on order and coming into us is sold before it gets to the lot. So we are not selling as many vehicles as we used to sell, uh, but we're still doing fine. I mean, all Mm -hmm. the car dealers were doing fine through all of this. That's what I'd heard. So people can't really haggle because they really want a car, right? Not that you guys are overpricing, but if you haggle, you're just, you're going to be in the back of the line. Well, there's, you know, we would like at the Nissan dealership here in Lafayette. We used to carry 350 new vehicles in inventory. Today we might have 20. That's it. 20. What about your used cars? And and we do have used, but to get a used car, we have to. If someone's trading it in, the value has gone up significantly. Mm-hmm. If we go to auction, we're competing with other dealers, you know, for inventory. Yeah. So and so the prices of used cars is up significantly. Uh-huh. You know, so although the price of a new car is up. The price, if someone has a trade-in, the value of their vehicle is up as well. And so if you look at the difference, mm-hmm. you know, the new vehicle may be two or $3,000 higher than what it normally would be, but the value of the used car could be 3000 or more higher, you know. So, so it's skewing what people might do, right? Exactly, exactly. So you really have to be a good salesperson. <laughs> Should you keep your car or... You know, gosh. Exactly. And we're, and we're, yeah. we're constantly, as every dealer is advertising, we want to buy your vehicle. Yeah. You know? When I drive down Johnston, I'm, I'm kind of amazed lately when I see used cars. Like, I wonder where did they get them? Maybe people have passed away or something. Because most people I know are not sure what to do. They either really want a new car or they're like, I'm holding on. Yes. For dear life, to yes. what I have, I'm going yeah. to repair it and, and keep it. So I mean, we're almost at the point in which we're not, but uh, we would never do. But you know, we really would prefer to sell a vehicle to someone that has a trade-in. Yeah. <laughs> because if we sell of our, all of our new vehicles and there's no trade-ins, then we don't have any used vehicles or right. pre-owned vehicles to sell. Right. You know? Well, can I ask what you drive? I drive a Nissan Armada. And you yeah. like that. It's I do. Nice. I, you know, I, I used to drive, I love the Volvo XC90, but we don't mm-hmm. have enough. Matter of fact, most of our managers are driving pre-owned vehicles right now because we just don't have enough new. Mm-hmm. And I just threaten my staff that they can't sell my car. Right. <laughs> so, well, it looks nice. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, I wouldn't have anything to drive either. I like that Volkswagen, excuse me, the Volvo, not Volkswagen, Volvo uh, station wagon. Are yes. they still selling those? They, they I are. love it. Yeah. That's kind of yeah. classy. Yeah, they are. It just looks like something like, you know, just kind of somebody that's heading to the beach or yeah. heading to Costco would right. like to have. Right. But, yeah. but most people today want an SUV. They do. Yeah. But I'm still that, yeah. I guess, old-timey. I just remember station wagons right. from the past, and I love those. Yeah. So, Was there anything that you were hoping I would ask you that I haven't? Well, one of the things we talked about earlier is Time Dealer of the Year. Yes. Talk about that. Okay. Out of 16,000. Nominations. Yes. So, Time Dealer of the Year uh, has been awarded every year for the last 53 years by Time Magazine. It's co-sponsored now by Ally Finance. Um, And it recognizes dealers who have been involved both in their 
local organizations, mm -hmm. uh, automobile organizations on a state or national level. But it's mostly determined based upon community involvement. Uh, and I was nominated for the Louisiana Dealer of the Year and was selected at the convention last a year ago mm -hmm. uh, in the summer and then nominated for the National Time Dealer of the Year, which was awarded in Las Vegas in March. Um, and there were 50, roughly 50 other dealers from every mm -hmm. state uh, there representing their state as Dealer of the Year. And I had the opportunity to go online and look at what each of these dealers had done in their community, and many of them had done so much, I was 100% convinced that I was not going to be selected as the time dealer of the year. And uh, fortunately, my dad, who's 93, was able to be there. Oh, gosh. And, uh, and I can remember when, um, when I was 18 years old, 50 years ago, going to the convention with my dad and seeing all of the finalists with their pictures on the cover of Time Magazine in yeah. the convention hall and thinking to myself, I wonder what they did to earn such a distinction and never imagining that one day that I would be nominated, much less actually be awarded such right. a high honor. So for me to have received that, and particularly with my dad there, mm -hmm. is something that I'll never forget. I mean, it's it's... Uh, there's no other award that I could think of mm -hmm. that for me would mean more than to have won that and, and just that to recognition. Be, just to come from Louisiana, we have so many fine dealerships. And I know Will Green yes. that runs um, the association yeah. does a yeah. great job. He does. But to be selected out of the group, and uh, I didn't want to compare it to Miss America, but you don't just get there without having a resume. You know, you have to earn your spot to be um, asked to move on to the national level. I just thought it was so cool. I'm glad yeah. you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah. How many dealerships do you think we have in Louisiana? Oh, in Louisiana, idea? there's probably, I don't know, 300, 200, something like that. And we're relatively small, I'm sure, as a state. Yes. Yes. Compared to others. So. Right. Yeah. So probably a couple hundred dealerships, but there's 16,000 new car, new mm -hmm. car and truck dealers across the U.S. and and that is the field from which um, the Time Dealer of the Year right. is selected from. Are there any cars here that we should have in Lafayette or Acadiana that we don't have? Well, I you know I would love to have Porsche mm -hmm. uh, back. They're still in Baton Rouge. Uh, yeah, in Harris Baton Rouge and Shreveport. Shreveport. Yeah, New Orleans. Um, would love to have Range Rover and yeah. Jaguar in this market. Yeah. I think um, they'd do well. It would, yeah. Is it hard to get them, though, in a certain geographic uh, well, radius? Well, you know, they look at the size of the market and they look at the demographics and so forth. But today, uh, because of the shortage of vehicles, the manufacturers mm -hmm. really aren't looking to expand their dealer network. Um, and even before COVID, you know, with Porsche and Range Rover and a lot of the franchises, there's been a shortage of vehicles. So the manufacturers say, hey, why, you know, we really don't want to open up another distribution point when we can't provide enough vehicles for the right. dealers that we currently have. Right. But who knows, maybe one day there will be a Range Rover or another Porsche dealer here in town. and Maybe Maserati. Or Maserati, something <laughs> like that. You, you I don't know, who, know. Somebody would have to fix them, though. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Gosh, I want to thank you for taking time with us, but also for your service to the community. Uh, many of us try to give as we can, but you've taken your position and leveraged it 
like I said, with your friends, your family, and your colleagues to really make a difference in the lives of people besides being a great entrepreneur. Thank you for yep. what you've done for us. Well, you know, I've made that commitment 15 years ago, and, and I'm going to continue to do what I can do as long as I can do it and, and give back to this community that's been so wonderful to me and my family. I understand that so much. Bob Giles, thank you. I'd like to thank our listeners, too, for being loyal, and we couldn't do this without our sponsors. I'd like to thank Oxner, Lafayette General, Home Bank, and, of course, Raider, and in particular, Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape. Thank you for making it sound professional. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, this is Jan Swift. Jan Swift.